the Dementia Researcher podcast, talking careers, research, conference highlights, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Coming up in this show, I'll be talking with some of our incredible dementia research bloggers in a festive special. Um, We're going to be reflecting a little on 2023 and uh, talk about plans for next year, and we're going to test their knowledge in a fun quiz. So let's get into it. Hello, I'm Adam Smith. I'm the Programme Director for Dementia Researcher, and today I have the pleasure of hosting this show. But that's enough from me. Let's meet our brilliant guests. Today I'm joined by Ajantha Abbey, Dr. Connor Richardson, Dr. Clarissa Glebel, Hannah Hussain, Dr. Anna Volkmer, and Dr. Jodie Watt. Hi, everybody. Hi. Sadly, not all of our regular bloggers could join us today, but I know they have some great festive blogs planned, so do remember to subscribe to our blogs podcast and you'll hear those. So are we feeling all Christmassy? Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening to this rather than watching, absolutely everybody <laughs> is wearing a Christmas hat and Christmas jumper. And <laughs> the entire thing is, is entirely decorated all around them. It's incredibly festive. Um, if we do normal introductions, um, I think we're going to be here all day. So for the first in our series of challenges, I'm going to ask everybody, I'm going to go around and they're going to have to describe themselves in 30 seconds or less and i'm going to set a timer on my phone um to to alert us when your 30 seconds is up and i'm going to go because anna is regular guest host and is does this all the time i'm going to go to anna first anna your 30 seconds starts now hi everybody my name is anna volkmer i'm a speech and language therapist by background but i'm a senior research fellow nihr funded advanced researcher at ucl specializing in dementia and interventions for people with progressive language difficulties and their family members i think i beat the clock you did that's rubbish you didn't get to hear the cool noise at the end (laughs) (laughs) i didn't really think this through did i clearly Okay, Connor, you're next. Uh, hi, I'm Connor Richardson. Um, I'm based at Newcastle University. Um, I'm a biochemist and biostatistician by background. I'm doing a NIHR fellowship at Newcastle at the minute on dementia epidemiology, looking at the effect of anti-inflammatories on dementia risk. You beat the clock too. Um, and uh, have you just come back from your because you, you're a Demcom fellow? I am, yeah. And I should this is a chance to get a plug in because we're just about to embark on recording a new series with Demcom fellows. For so those don't know, Demcom fellows are funded by um, the NIHR and Alzheimer's Society, and there are over 50 of them working in the art, uh, applied research collaboratives up and down the country doing amazingly incredible diverse mm. projects on everything from eyesight to falling mm. downstairs or prevention of falling downstairs, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to start a new podcast series with them where they're all going to take a turn at hosting and being guests on the show to talk about their work with a, a co-host who is, um, for the first series, it's going to be Chris Roberts, who's somebody who's been on the show before, who's somebody who lives with dementia. So watch this space for that. And thank you for joining Connor. Uh, I'm going to go to Clarissa next. Yes, hi everyone. Uh, so I'm Clarissa Giebel, Senior Research Fellow at the University of Liverpool. My background is neuropsychology and my research is looking at dementia care inequalities and how we can find solutions so that everyone with dementia and their families can access care more equitably. And I'm also a passionate advocate for public involvement. So I run the Liverpool Dementia and Aging Research Forum. Thank you very much, Clarissa. And you also beat the clock. Uh, Hannah, you go next. Um, hi everyone, I'm Hannah Hussain and I've got a background in pharmacy and in health economics. I'm currently a third year PhD student at the University of Sheffield and my research is looking into how to best measure health-related quality of life for use in dementia economic evaluations. Thank you very much, you did that in 20 seconds. Clearly this wasn't challenging enough, I needed to make give you 15 seconds. Uh, I'm going to go to Jody next. Hi, so I'm Jodie. I'm a postdoc research assistant with Professor Terry Quinn at Glasgow, and I'm currently looking at drug repurposing for Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, I also focus on a lot of my lived experience as someone who's queer and neurodiverse and see how that relates to the world of Alzheimer's research. Thank you very much. Well done. You beat the timer. 
It's all pressure on you now, Ajantha. You're the last to go. I drive mine on. You're the last to go. And if you if you don't achieve this, I mean, I don't really know whether I want you to do this or not. I want you to not actually do this so that I waste my time paying 79 pence for a noise effect. Go. <laughs> all right. Hi, my name is Ajantha Abey. I am a PhD student at the University of Oxford. I'm in my final year in the Wade Martins lab. Uh, I'm a pathology by background, and I currently work on looking at selective vulnerability in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease using iPSC models. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hoping to finish next year. <laughs> oh, do you know, I didn't even play this stupid noise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know what the noise was for just just so that you've you've actually heard it after all that all that selling it up? It... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> it cost me seventy nine pence. Did that <laughs> for the purposes of the podcast? Um, well, with that out of the way, I'm going to start by asking you all what your personal highlight was. So, personal highlights of 2023, um, I'm going to go to Clarissa first. Lovely. Has it been a good year, Clarissa? I think so. Uh, there's always grand rejections and paper rejections, but we just have to suck it up, unfortunately. Uh, we all get them, but we also get some positives. But I think, on the whole, I'm incredibly exhausted from this year, just one by Christmas break, to be honest. Um, but for me, there's two highlights that really stand out. One is a lot of traveling this year for research work, not just conferences, which is one of the many reasons I went into this job, because I like to travel and meet new people and new communities and new settings and learn from them. And I went to Bangalore in India, and I also went to Medellin and other places in Colombia. So really understanding how people from very different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds understand dementia for me that's really important and the inequalities and barriers to getting even a diagnosis or getting any type of care if they do that's one of the main highlights but the second highlight as I was saying earlier I really love public involvement and engagement and this year we co-produced a game on all of our research so dementia inequalities game um, it was fantastic to launch it during World, Al World Alzheimer's month with lots of caregivers and people with dementia. And it's available on the Louis Body Society website. So now what we're trying to do, as opposed to doing more research, really, we're trying to use it as a possible interventional tool, as an educational tool for health and social care professionals and students to learn about dementia inequalities and maybe actually change their care practices as a result of playing a board game. So for me, it's really novel and, and different, so really interesting. That's wonderful. Thank you, Clarissa. And for you've written a blog on your work creating that um, game as well, haven't you? And it's available to buy on the Louis Body Society website. Yeah. So all goes back to charity. Fantastic. What a great year. Thank you, Clarissa. What about you, Hannah? Um, I've got a few kind of personal and then kind of academic highlights. So I also did a lot of travel this year, but for personal reasons so I've got to celebrate um it still counts yeah it still counts like some nice trips and you know just getting away and seeing the world a little bit more which I think is one of the the things about doing a PhD like it's a lot of work but it's also you don't need to request annual leave so as long as you can work hard in the times when you need to work hard you can fit the things that you want to do um around that so I think that's one of the things we don't maybe talk about enough and it's quite been quite nice to be able to be present and engage and um things like that and my brother got married this year so I was, a lot, I was able to be really hands-on I mean it's I'm catching up now but it's fine I was there at the time <laughs> is that because you're you're self-funding your PhD because I imagine not everybody can just go take time off I'm not self-funding but because it's flexi hours for me I see I can work longer hours after I can work on the weekend which just means I can be present in those times when I'm want to be present and I'm not going to lie being working from home means that everyone is 
constantly asking me to do things they just think you're not working when you're at home um yeah because I still live in my family home um in terms of my like academic highlights I presented at the proms conference and um that was a big thing for me because I was actually able to integrate the feedback that I got from that presentation into a paper that I'm currently working on so it was quite nice to actually see that through and get that into the works this year um and another thing which is one of the things I blogged about was being able to overcome this learning curve um, with statistical mapping. So I'm a pharmacist, I'm not an analyst by background, but now I would proudly call myself an analyst because I've been able to master this technique and it's just a really big sense of accomplishment. So, awesome. yeah. Well, no, remind us, what does PROM stand for? Patient Reported Outcome Measures. Perfect. And um, I think there is somebody in the room that might be able to help you with those stats if you ever get stuck. And um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come to you next, Connor. <laughs> Connor, our resident statistician expert. <laughs> that was a really smooth segue. <laughs> you. Also, just remembered, I've got Christmas group. Oh. Well done. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> um, yeah, I feel like I've really sort of ran the gamut of um, like, a, the real, real highs and real, real lows of like academic life over the past year. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've had like, I've had big, like, big rejections, which were horrible. But then I've also had, um, so I got like rejected for a job that I applied for, which was, which was really sad. But then I got the NIHR fellowship, which I was really not expecting to get. Um, and it was one of those weird, bizarre things where you put loads of your effort into it a job which I was really thought was mine <laughs> and then this ARC fellowship which I thought they're not going to be interested about stats <laughs> and then I sort of did it on a whim and a prayer and then they, they loved it um but yeah so yeah had lots of had a few rejections but the fellowship's been a big a big a big big high um um, traveling as well got to AAIC was really fun this year in Amsterdam um it was it was nice not to have to traverse the globe to, uh, to get there. Um, it was the first time really I've been to a conference and already had connections that I knew people were going who I've already networked with. So I felt a little bit more like a little bit more grown up researcher, and like I didn't feel like I was going there going oh I need to go and make friends. <laughs> so that I, was really I, nice. you know, I know exactly. What I was Next week I'm going to the motor neuron disease conference in Switzerland. Um, and we don't usually do much on, you know, motor neuron disease we kind of do with ALS. And the thing that I'm kind of going, oh, no, I, don't, I won't know anybody. Because <laughs> it's not, a, I, think, I bet I don't know anybody. I even emailed some people and said, hey, are you going? And everybody said no. I'm, I think it is exciting. When you go and you're knowing, it feels mm -hmm. like you're catching up with friends as well as enjoying the research as well. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Connor. And, and somebody else who knows a lot about applying, successfully applying to the NIHR for funding is uh, Anna Volkmer. Uh, who I'm gonna come to Anna next. God, I'm getting good at this. <laughs> you are beautiful segue. <clears throat> so um, yeah, so I'm in the second year of my NIHR advanced um, fellowship, and one of the big highlights for me was in when I put in my application for my advanced fellowship, I included funding for my very own PhD student. And they started in September. Ah. So it felt really exciting because I've always um, wanted okay. somebody else to do all your work. <laughs> <laughs> I've always loved bossing people around. So, you know, it's not hard. But, um, but equally, so I'm uh, mindful that in speech and language therapy, there aren't very, very many speech therapists who get NIHR funding. We're one of the least funded professional groups. Um, probably because we don't apply for that much, but it was something I could really do for, you know, is offer a fully funded PhD position for a speech and language therapist. So it's been very exciting to be able to um, have my lovely new PhD student start, Richard, who hopefully um, you might see a little bit more of. They're going to come on the podcast and talk about their work, aren't they? We've, we've been having that conversation offline. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was one of my highlights. And I guess another one of my highlights is that for this year is I've been, is about wrangling people again. But as I've, um, one of my big projects has been 
about trying to develop a core outcome set for people with primary progressive aphasia. And part of that work is actually getting other researchers to be bothered about it. And I just recently host, had the last phase of that work and managed to wrangle 46 um, researchers from about 20 different countries uh, from all different professions and, and forced them to engage with it. So that felt like a really big achievement to actually manipulate people to do what I want them to do. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they weren't manipulated at all. They saw the incredible value of what it was you were doing and said, yeah, we'll have some of that. Because it's funny because I've... Um, uh, I think through your blogs as well, because you've told this story for so many years with us now, kind of from back when you were really just very early stage of your PhD, right through to now. I've had so many um, people approach and say, oh, I always read Anna's blogs. Uh, and and I think you've picked up an international following as a result, as I'm sure ever, many others of you, many of you have as well. But uh, yeah. Well done. Congratulations on getting your student. Um, Jodie, why don't I come to you next? Hello. Um, so, yeah, I think I've had a, a few highlights this year, thankfully, because um, it's always a bit a bit hard. I've had a few years during my PhD where I did not have any for a year. So, yeah, it's nice to have a few this year. Um, particularly, so I work on drug repurposing um, and I'm using some interesting sort of drug weight association study methodology and I'm getting the first results out of that now which are really exciting so I'm hoping next year will be a lot of dissemination of that and a bit more travel than I've had this year um, I'm also part of uh, something really exciting that's happening in Scotland um, which is the brain health arc which is sort of an alliance of various different groups uh, for brain health research so I'm the EDI rep on that so that's very exciting for me as well um, and I'm also maybe maybe it's just that I'm talking about these things more but I also feel like I've had a lot more conversations this year around diversity and inclusion particularly around um, queerness and disability and neurodiversity and actually as well with Scotland the island problem if any of you are familiar with it with the fact that essentially if you live on an island often good luck which is unfortunate um but it seems to be a, a topic of real discussion this year which is very exciting because there's so many islands in Scotland so we need to ensure that dementia care is also accessible and equitable on those islands as well as on the mainland so I've, I've read so many of those discussions before where where they look at that we need to bring Hannah in to look at the economic arguments because they argue, oh, yeah, that you can do things for large groups of people, but not for small groups when you've only yeah. got so much money. Money is always the excuse, isn't it? it is. Yeah. So this is this is where a lot of my personal interest comes in, because I'm I'm all about the small groups that people are normally like. But the big group, the big group is fine, but I'm interested in the small group. So. Brilliant. Thank you, Jody. Um, and last but not least, uh, Ajahn. Yeah, I guess in terms of professional highlights, um, similar to some of the answers from earlier, I got to do a lot of traveling to different conferences this year. Um, it's my, my, my final year of my PhD, so I went to um, quite a few earlier in the year. Um, I really enjoyed ADPD in Gothenburg in particular. It was a really cool conference. I got to meet a lot of really interesting people and was even able to go later in the year to the US to visit some of the labs of some people who I met, which is really nice of them to have me over um, and to show me around, which is really cool. And then while I was traveling around the US, I met some friends there as well. Um, I was also there for the Quad Ball World Cup, Quad Ball, which previously used to be called Quidditch, which if you're unfamiliar, look it up, it's great. Um, but that was really fun. I got to see some of my friends from back home in Australia there as well. My brother was on the Australian team, so it was really fun to watch him playing. And this is now getting more into the personal highlights, I guess, as well. Um, Did you get Victor Clum's my... autograph? <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't mocking Jamie. I've been to watch it because they play it on the uh, the University Fields in Oxford, though they were, which is where mm -hmm, I've mm -hmm. been to watch a few times before. So you were talking. You were going to add to that, then. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, my, my big personal highlight for the year really is that for the last several years, my partner and I have really been playing the, the two-body problem um, in that at the start of 2020, so like pre-COVID 2020, she started her PhD in Sydney in psychology. Uh, and two months later, I got my 
um, offer to come to do a PhD at Oxford. And so we've been doing sort of like the longest of long distances for the last couple of years, about 17,000 kilometers. Um, also during COVID, which was an interesting time. Um, but this year, so halfway through the year, she finished her PhD submitted and she has moved over here. So we're now um, back and living together. So that's a big, exciting moment for us. And um, that's quite a highlight for me. Brilliant. And how's that going? It's being, been it's being been in one place. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's yeah, it's 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 quite exciting, really. It's just like all the incidental interactions that you miss, all the like hanging around at home. We're not really doing anything together, but you still are together. It's quite nice. Brilliant. I'm I'm glad it's a success. <laughs> well, what an amazing 2023! You've all had such brilliant years. Both, I mean, obviously there's those highs and lows that everybody's talked about, which I think we've come to expect in academia. Um, I don't know if I should add mine. I, we haven't got time to add all mine, but certainly I think dementia research have been refunded for the next uh, six years. Five, six years is a good thing. It means I've still got a job and you can still keep listening to our podcast. That was a good highlight. Um, and, and just, I mean, generally speaking, the kind of collaborations that we continue to forge and um, the opportunity to work with so many different people and attend conference events. I, I love that. The, the, it's so dynamic, uh, which is what I love most about my job is, is we get this opportunity to just do fun, cool stuff. Um, and we've got some more fun, cool stuff. Look, look out for our app in the new year. I'll, I'm not going to say much more than that now. Brilliant. Well, it's time for one of these. Okay, are you ready? It's time to take a break and move on to the first part of our festive quiz. Um, this podcast is going to be two hours long if we take two hours long doing this, so we can do this pretty quickly. We're going to have five questions. They've, the first five have got a bit of a sciencey Christmas theme, and you're going to indicate that you're ready to answer by saying your name as quickly as you can. So um, I was going to say fingers on buzzers, but that doesn't quite work. Uh, get ready. Are you ready? Question one, what is more common name for frozen water often seen during... Jody. Go, Jody. Ice. I'm going to take snow or ice. <laughs> I was about to say often seen in colder climates and at Christmas. <laughs> but there you go. And Newcastle uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? It's snowing in Newcastle. Oh, yeah. Uh, question two. What is the name of the process plants use to make food which is essential for Christmas trees? AJ. AJ. Photosynthesis. Correct. Well done. <laughs> you got a point for you. Question three. True or false? Reindeer have red noses due to a rich network of blood vessels. <laughs> Clarissa. Go, Clarissa. No. I'm afraid that's false. incorrect. <laughs> Would anybody else like to go? Uh, Anna. Oh, Anna. I mean, there's only one other option, right? I didn't True. think it was true. <laughs> Correct. Well done. Okay, question four. What do we call scientists who study weather like predicting white Christmases? Clarissa. AJ. Meteorologist. Clarissa, yeah. Meteorologist. Well done. That was very close, AJ. And question five, last one in this round. What is the term for the shortest day of the year, which occurs around Christmas time? Connor. Connor. Uh, winter solstice? Correct. Well done. <laughs> so at the end of our first round of questions, Ajantha, uh, Connor, Clarissa, Anna and Jody all have one point each. What's the prize for the best for the most points at the end of this, by the way? I'm going to surprise you at the end. Okay. You're going to be surprised. It might be something you already have, but um, you'll get another one. Um, brilliant. Thank you so much. So uh, halfway scores, all even Stevens. So that's enough of that. Um, we talked earlier about our personal highlights. Um, what I want to ask you now is what are the big discoveries or exciting themes that have emerged more generally from your research fields? Ajantha, you went last last time. You can go first this time. 
Um, I mean, it's hard to go past the the two big drug announcements that came out for um, Alzheimer's earlier this year. Well, I guess that's kind of in maybe some way, some sense, everyone's highlight because we're all in the same broader field. So maybe I'll touch on those briefly. Yeah, of course. And that's that's absolutely huge news, I think, for the field, no matter sort of where you stand on on them, just any kind of kind of breakthroughs, both scientific and regulatory, I think is is really exciting. Um, but maybe a bit more specific to disease mechanisms then. I think it's really interesting how we're seeing a massive sort of proliferation in uh, looking at targets, looking at pathways beyond just tau and amyloid, these different proteins that accumulate in the disease. And we're looking a lot more at things like glia and inflammation, a lot more at things like lipids. Um, there's a huge amount of research at the moment that seems to be going into looking at the role different lipids play in disease, um, both in Alzheimer's and in Parkinson's disease, which is really cool. And also beyond the sort of disease mechanisms front, all the stuff in biomarkers, I think is really, really exciting. Um, and I've written a little bit about that this year, but I think both those fronts, there's a lot going on just beyond the sort of headline drug discovery type things. And I think they all bode really well for the future as well. Which shocks well, doesn't it? Because there's still quite a lot of kind of, you know, those amyloid, how, well, amyloid particularly skeptics um, that we see at conferences. Uh, so it's good that there's that breadth of research going on because I think everybody agrees it's probably not going to be one thing. It's going to be this combination of factors. Thank you very much. Yeah, it speaks to that importance like diversity, both within researchers, but also in what we research, I think. Exactly. Thank you. Um, what about in your field, Jody? Yeah, so I think uh, you've hit on some very interesting points there. I think for me, I struggle a wee bit with, um, I'm very excited about these drugs, but I struggle a wee bit with the accessibility aspect of them. And that that is a huge, a huge problem and a huge overarching question. So for me, with drug repurposing, which, or if anyone watching doesn't know, is essentially taking drugs that are already clinically approved and therefore their safety profile, things like that are known, and seeing if they have any utility in dementia, which would save us millions upon millions because we wouldn't have to start the whole process from the beginning and would also lead us to the clinic more quickly. So for me, this is a really, really exciting avenue for development because it's potentially more equitable and more inclusive. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit more excited about that than I am about the new drugs currently. Currently. I've come across various trials over the years that um, have repurposed particular drugs, but I've never, I have to say, usually kind of at the point that they're trying to recruit people and there's a mm -hmm. lot of talk at the start, but then I've never followed them through long enough to see whether they've actually gone on. I'm assuming that they didn't because there hasn't then been some announcement about, oh, this new blood pressure medication is something we should give to everybody uh, to prevent or to, to deal with it. Uh, is there, are there any realistic, exciting prospects that we've found in the last year from drug repurposing? That's a good question. Um, I, I think one of those things about drug repurposing as well is that I would, I would say that a year isn't the greatest time frame over which to work. I understand that this is like a retrospective on 2023 Just, yeah. um, but I think I mean I'm quite excited about my own work as I've said but I'm at a stage where it requires a lot of validation um, at the moment so I wouldn't want to talk too much about that at this point in time but I, I think there is exciting development right as we have more in the way of um, analytical approaches to it and we have huge data sets like I work in UK Biobank which is half a million people my analysis is done in half a million people which is huge numbers compared to a lot of research in the field I think that sort of thing and that sort of access level is quite exciting when it comes to the purposes of doing things like drug repurposing and, and we've heard a lot this year about um, AI tools being applied to those data sets to kind of uh, and the like the M&D smart trial from Edinburgh being employed mm -hmm. on other diseases that slightly new dynamic approach to delivering on repurposed drug studies to, to practically test and help with so that's Exciting stuff. Thanks, Jody. Um, what about you, Colin? Um, well, I can probably very smoothly segue from, from that um, because my, my fellowship is in um, looking kind kind of a drug repurpose repurposing drugs with um, anti-inflammatories. And my two highlights were going to be the the growing amount of AI, which I'm still a bit of a AI machine learning skeptic in 
in the vast majority of cases that it seems to be implemented in dementia research at the minute. But I think it's a really fascinating debate and you can get into some very spicy debates between hardcore statisticians and hardcore computer scientists who come and analyse and questions in completely different ways and um, it gets quite spicy, but that's what kind of makes it interesting. Um, but yeah, also more huge data sets come and become more available. You've got Dementia Platforms UK, which have, which are recruiting more and more data sets into their platform, Biobank. Um, we just got access at Newcastle to the, can't remember all the word, but CPRD, the Clinical Research Data Link, which is a huge, um, huge database of primary care records. So that really helps you sort of tie in together these things, often things which are you want to look at all together, but you can't. So you can either look at medication in one data set and clinical clinical records in one and um, MRI scans in another. Um, and they're all disjointed over different areas. And I think now you're starting to see these bigger data sets sort of merge their, really merge their data together to be, so you can do some much more exciting analysis with them. Those advancements in technology are really making a difference in that that space, aren't they, as well? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I doubt anybody's got, because I don't think anybody here works in biomarkers particularly, but uh, so we should throw in there that the advancements in blood biomarkers are clearly a hot topic for 20, I mean, they've been a hot topic for many years, but it feels like we're closer than ever, particularly in the UK with this new large grant um, that the charities have come together to actually implement a blood-based biomarker dementia test in the NHS over the well within five years and test it in a real world thank you very much um anna so my i was lucky enough to be the podcast host for the mab discussion um that we've we recorded and i think that whole or i do think that all the the, the kind of advances in disease modifying drugs are super exciting and enormous, not just because of what they are, but also for people themselves and their family members because of the hope it creates. And um, because I, I guess with my clinical hat on, I have been hearing people ask me for decades, when are we gonna get a anything that is anywhere near a, a cure? And suddenly this has provided a lot more hope and money. And although I think there's a huge accessibility issue, I do, I completely agree. What I've also noticed is there's lots more money that's available to do research into in to into access. So in terms of um, we, I'm uh, quite excited by the work that I'm lucky enough to collaborate with Clarissa on. Big piece of work looking at um, access to um, diagnosis, access to care for people um, who have dementia but who are from more diverse backgrounds and I think that's something that's really and looking more narrowly in speech and language therapy and dementia it's certainly a conversation more people have been having so not just can a person get a diagnosis but can a person access an intervention and if so what adaptations do we need to make so we're doing lots more projects are looking at adaptations of of interventions for different into different languages but also cultures and um, we just recently hosted a bit of a conference, a Better Conversations conference, that particularly focused on on that topic, and I think that's super exciting. Given I've grown up in London, I'm myself a little bit of a mishmash of nationalities. I feel that's really exciting to be able to be talking about that in terms of real life and how we can rationalise that into day to day research and care. It's it is an exciting time, and and I loved, I really enjoyed the the Lacanamab Nananamab podcast. We we did get a little bit of traction on social media questioning some of the some of the discussion that went on there, which I, I quite enjoyed. It was deliberately provocative. But I, I think um Sir John and Kath and Nick did an, an amazing job of preventing a very balanced picture of where we're at with that, which is yes, this is complicated to implement. Yes, um they're not immediately going to be available and Yes, not everybody's going to suitable for them, but it is progress. And you're right, it's brought so much extra money and focus, that prospect, because 
because also the knock-on effect has been that um, everybody realizes that you can't prescribe that drug if we haven't got good enough diagnostics. So there's also been a lot of research now, money invested in improving diagnostics, which hasn't yeah. just been blood biomarkers. It's been about different scanning techniques, cognitive online, cognitive testing, um, uh, which has then brought us more towards prevention. So I, I agree. Thank you very much. And, uh, and actually, I think there's also realised it's not a fait complete, so it's not going to completely cure everything. I think we also need the care has to be funded alongside. So I think there's it's actually just drawn more money overall to the sector. Great. You made a brilliant point in that podcast about if you prolong people's yeah. lives by taking this drug, but they don't get better, they stay the same, then that means people are going to need care for longer. They and will. the kind of interventions they're going to need, they're going to need it for longer as well. So... I worry that researching that is going to be lag behind. We'll get the treatment and the drug and then everybody will go, oh, wait a second. Uh, mm. But hopefully not. And Thanks. you are amazing in finding that point. Thank you. <laughs> Hannah, yeah. what's going on in the world of health economics? Um, so, yeah, so for me, because my research is kind of, it's into health-related quality of life. So, like I said, PROMS. Um, patient reported outcomes. So I've got kind of two fields that I'm interested in, which is PROMS, but also the like how economic evaluations take place. And just a segue from the point you just made about care, that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in, in terms of the research developments that have been happening potentially over the last year, but a little bit longer in terms of what are being considered as costs as part of an economic evaluation. So typically we have a very direct costing system and like we know with people with living with dementia, there's a lot of informal care that's given, there's a lot of spillover effects and these costs, but of course benefits from treatments aren't necessarily being considered. So there's this kind of change in attitude and approach in research that's slowly happening. There's a lot more interest in spillover effects, that's the term we tend to use in health economics. And just how we can consider, um, you know, these benefits and, of course, costs to informal carers. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I'm I'm hoping to see more of and I'm looking forward to seeing more of. And we keep hearing, don't we, about the, the kind of... It just seems to be one review after another into the costs of social care and how, how we can better deliver social care in an affordable way. The, the problem is I'm not sure that there is such thing as an affordable way to deliver social care. It's expensive and you either have it or you... Don't. I mean, uh, is, does that feel like there's some hope on the horizon for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I certainly think so. Less in terms of so social care directly, but more in terms of how we're considering the perspective of an informal carer. Um, like if we were costing the, the care, the time, the energy, the well-being of the carer when we do economic evaluations, the NHS would essentially just be bankrupt. Like they, they're such a central part of dementia care. So I think there's this kind of change in attitude towards how we can include those things in, in the economic evaluation. But it's really hard to change how things have always been done and consider how we want them to be comparable going forward. So it, there's kind of like a move towards a more extensive quality. Um, so that's the quality adjusted life year and how we can extend that. That's happening now. Which gets me to thinking, actually, because it just reminded me that a theme that's come up on the podcast throughout the year has been implementation or lack of implementation or implementation science or what more can we better do to implement the things that we create that we know work and that economic evaluation seems to be more important than ever to build on that case for why why this should be done to to make the argument that this this will it shouldn't come down to money did it but if you can prove that yeah. not just about the cost that it improves the quality of life that then contributes overall to well-being and, and the money side of things it things will become more implementable thank you very much hannah Clarissa, you've been very patient. Well done. <laughs> All right. Um, what's hot in the inequalities research uh, field? What's hot? Games. Um, I hear games are the thing, the, the way of the future. Yes, but I want to pick up on Anna's point of social care because that's really what I do. I look at social care and inequalities in that, and I find it positive, really positive, that there's been a much bigger investment now in social care research at least 
in the past year, not necessarily, unfortunately, in social care from the government, but in research. So we have a research uh, program for social care, for example, that's launched. We've got a new research um, support service that's based in Lancaster, which is solely focusing on social care. And I'm fortunate enough to be part of that. And there's lots of other pots that supports investment into how we can improve the lives of vulnerable people and their families from a social care point of view in terms of research measures. But then you're right, how do we translate that effectively when the social care landscape isn't really well funded? So the game may offer a low cost intervention perhaps, but that's just obviously I'm biased, I love the game. But what we need to do is find, I suppose, low cost interventions to help work around the limited budget within social care to help people access care more equitably. It's really tough and it's really frustrating as an academic when we suddenly find things that work. I don't know, dementia care navigators, admiral nurses, etc. But then there's no more investment because we kind of know they would reduce inequalities and improve care. But how far can we go? We can go to policymakers, decision makers, but will it actually be taken up? So I think that's something we all have to work with third sector organisations a lot with to, to kind of raise awareness. I agree. I haven't thought, I mean, so the NIHR this last year has invested lots in mm. social care, hasn't it? It's kind of renewed contracts with the School for Social Care. It's yeah. got the new, lots of new services. I don't know how that plays out elsewhere in the world. I mean, Tell us in the podcast comments, how is how well-funded is social care research where in the world you are? Um, I think in the UK, it's definitely come up with the agenda and it's it's getting uh, a good slice of funding. It's not all money going into uh, fundamental science like some people might think. But uh, yeah, thank you, Clarissa. And and the, the point about creating lots of small, low-cost, I think it's that knowledge, isn't it? It's not necessarily that you need a great, new, expensive, yeah. multi-million pound service to deliver interventions but having small things that people can do day in day out and evidence to back them up and then a way to train people to make them aware of it is it could actually be more impactful quickly. and a lot of buy-in and support from the managers of all those organizations that's kind of key to implementing them then i, I have a personal bit of a Bug, bug about this. I think over the last 10 years, we've become a little bit too dependent upon relying on digital methods to reach people. And uh, so when I used to work on joint dementia research, you kind of fell back on that. Twitter became the new way of telling everybody everything. And I think that old school method of being face to face in person, going meeting people, talking to them, presenting something in front of them, standing, arranging meetings. I think some of that's been lost a little bit, I think. And I think some of these things we'd like staff in healthcare systems to do, we, we need to actually get out of our chairs and our offices and our back bedrooms, wherever we are, and actually go out and talk to people. And I think things will stick more personal for you. Does anybody, does anybody disagree or anything? No, um, that? no I was just right. going to say, Adam, at, um, at, Dem, at the Demcom meeting yesterday, we were kind of, there was a session on impact um, and there's someone, I can't remember his name now, but um, he's based at Newcastle and he has, it's, he has links on the NHR website um, so you can find him and he has a sort of framework for, I think called it like impact analysis. And it kind of breaks it down into like, who are your stakeholders of your research and, you know, in what ways do they care about your success and does your success matter to them? And he, he kind of breaks it down into, I'm going to send an email a week to this person and say this specifically and then try and get an in-person meeting with that person and try and build those kind of, just like what you're saying, like, not just throw it out into the internet and... <laughs> hope someone cares yeah. like actually think about who you want to do and do in a sort of systematic planned way there's there's a reason why people like drug companies still have drug reps isn't there they're, they're, they're you know that face-to-face -face contact that going out there is still incredibly powerful and i i think in in implementing some of these implement these interventions we could make more use of that the problem is, is it's time isn't it? it it's time now to to get out and spend time talking to people but i think if we can build that in as part of our plans we might have more success 
Well, that was all very serious, wasn't it? But thank you so much, everybody. Um, I, I, is there anything we think we might miss? There's going to be people listening going, how did you not talk about this big thing that happened in 2023? I think we talked about biomarkers, we've talked about new drugs, we've talked about care. Any other hot things that we, we've missed? We talked about technology. There's so much technology going on now. Um, I, I think big... um, I don't pick, pick, it, I think it was mentioned earlier the sort of like um, you have this interesting divide now between like the sort of amyloid skeptics and uh, the sort of amyloid pushers almost. <laughs> and there was an interesting phrase used at AAIC this year uh, with the I think it was the NIH tra- uh, redefinition of dementia, and they used the phrase if amyloid can be detected in the brain then it's a it's a move towards saying that that person will is will get dementia it's not a it's not a question it's a if amyloids in your in your brain it's inevitable well it's it's not i mean there's loads of studies to say that you know people live with amyloids in their brains perfectly healthy until the die suppose more some studies have showed presence of amyloids yeah. haven't they the people but it's an interesting sort of shift in how people are thinking oh. about the disease maybe it's if you live long enough is it a case that yeah, if you live long enough, you will eventually, definitely, but you might have to live, some people might have to live till they're like in their late 90s or something. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what, they, that, yeah, I think that's what they were getting at, but it's an interesting sort of philosophical almost. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could argue if you lived to 200, you would get dementia inevitably. <laughs> and and I, I need to, there was an interesting thing. So yesterday I went to the Ideal Study. So the Ideal Studies is a program run by uh, Linda Clare out of Exeter that's been going on for many, many years. I think mm-hmm. it was one of the first big studies funded by the ESRC out of the um, Prime Minister's Challenge on Dementia, which is 2012, 2013. Um, but it's delivered so much over the course mm-hmm. of, of many years. And one of the things that they reported yesterday in their overall review of findings was that people, and this probably isn't the news we want to hear, but people who didn't worry too much about Alzheimer's, when they got a diagnosis, they did, did think about it as a natural kind of part of, oh, well, that's just because I'm getting old, actually had better outcomes than people who knew all about it and thought about their disease and their dementia and called it Alzheimer's disease and were very aware of it more, that they had better outcomes than people who did, didn't worry about it kind of thing, as opposed to the well-informed people that that went on and knew all about the disease, which I thought was astounding. We spent a lot of time trying to make sure that there's increased awareness, haven't we? I don't, I don't think that that's all that surprising, though, because when you consider like surgical outcomes, for example, positive attitude going into surgery shows that you have better outcome, at least psychologically. So I guess it's just a variant of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I it, well, I didn't know that about surgery. Um, but yeah, so that was, um, and if you head to our YouTube channel, um, by the time you're watching or listening this, um, those recordings from Linda Clare presenting the outcomes of uh, the Ideal Study will be on our YouTube channel. As part of our new push, we'd like to help you share your research. So if you've done a webinar, you're holding an event in the UK, talk to us. We'd love to share your content on our website and get more people watching it. Thank you very much, everybody. I think it's uh, time for one of these, and then we're going to get back to the second half of our quiz. Just to recap, after round one, Ajantha, Connor, Clarissa, Anna and Jody are all on one point each. And Hannah, poor Hannah, <laughs> was the only I'll one not to get a question in round one. You need to be quicker, <laughs> Hannah. Okay, are you ready for round two? These There are no science elements to these. These are purely Christmas questions, but there might be a couple of a little bit harder. Um, question number six. What are the two most popular names for Santa Claus? Anna, Santa and Father Christmas? Uh-uh. Oh. Incorrect. Anybody else? Connor, Chris Kringle. <laughs> and? Uh, oh, I thought it might count with two. Um, I think you've had too long. Sorry. Yeah. I can Anybody give you a one, but that won't count. Go on, Clarissa, do you want to guess? Two most common names for Santa Claus that obviously aren't Santa Claus. Anna, can I have another names. go? Anna. 
Well, Clarissa's got another go. Clarissa okay. said. Well, for go us, on. it's Weihnachtsmann and Christkind, which is baby Jesus, basically. There's one more, though. There's baby one more. Jesus isn't Santa Claus. Yes, he or she or it <laughs> is in our culture. What? Yes. So, in Are Germany, Santa, yeah. Santa Claus and baby Jesus are the same person. Well, that, well that's, that's very, Santa Claus comes on the 6th of December, so your boot will be filled with chocolates and presents. <laughs> um, and then we have little baby Jesus flying as an angel through the window, giving you the presents if you're a little kid. <laughs> well, I yeah. did, how did I not know that? Yeah. It depends what part of Germany you're in, because yeah. in East Germany they didn't get the the little Jesus baby oh. Jesus coming because they were communists and they weren't allowed to have religion, so they got um they got uh, Saint Nicholas and so Saint Nick and the Weihnachtsman. Okay, I'm gonna give I'm gonna do you know what you've all had too many goes. I'm gonna give Hannah a go. <laughs> Not Father Christmas. Do you need clues? Saint Somebody's Nicholas. already said one of them correctly. It wasn't Father Christmas. Um, I don't know. I don't. Okay, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say this. It the, the answer that I've got from my book is Chris Kringle, which somebody mentioned, and Saint Nicholas, but nobody mentioned them together. Nobody said both. <laughs> okay, no points that time around. We're able um, to get half a point each for getting them individually. <laughs> who got? Who got Saint Nicholas? Anna. Okay, and so me, Anna, you get a sixth of December. You're trying to get half as well, and Connor as well. I feel like I'm getting conned here. Uh, question number seven. What well-known Christmas carol became the first ever song broadcast in space in 1965? Anybody? AJ? First? AJ? It's a complete guess. Is it Silent Night? No. Sorry. Carol first? or Christmas song? Christmas carol. Difference between a carol and a song. Well, a song might be like the Pope's song. <laughs> well, okay. All right, Anna, Whereas, Jingle Bells. Anna, correct. Jingle Bells. <laughs> it was. Jingle Bells was the first ever song broadcast in first ever uh Christmas song broadcasting space in 1965. Anna, that puts you one point in the lead now with two and a half points as we move into question number eight which you're all going to know this. Are you ready? Which Christmas movie featured a boy named Kevin accidentally left behind? Yeah. When he yeah. <laughs> I was clearly first. I was very clearly first. It's home, it's home alone, but I am taking it because I was very clearly first and I'm all right. home alone. I, and, I, and I was struggling to read and look at you all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> My eyes can only be in one place at once. Okay, so ooh, so now uh, just to recap on scores, Anna is on two and a half, Jody is on two, Connor and Clarissa are on one and a half. A Jantha's on one, and Hannah is still up there at the bottom of the pack with zero <laughs> points. Uh, okay, are we ready? Uh, number nine, which country? I, I only read the first. Germany is correct. Well done. What was the question? <laughs> the question was, uh, which country? And that's all I said before I stopped. Which country started the tradition? Of putting up a Christmas tree, <laughs> and it was Germany. Yet Anna storming ahead now with three and a half points. In fact, with only one question left, nobody can beat her. So we're just playing for pride now. Um, question number ten: In the song "The Twelve Days of Christmas," which is given on the seventh day, Jordy. Jody? Seven swans are swimming. Well done. It is seven swans are swimming. So that's the end of our Christmas festive quiz. I, I, this could become a new Christmas tradition because I quite enjoyed that. Um, so in last place, with no points, because it's just not quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be really big. Hannah. Her saying, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, but you look incredibly festive. You've got to go watch the video version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. See Hannah's amazing Christmas jumper. Show us your Christmas jumper, Hannah. It's got like a dog on it. <laughs> oh, wow, pretty cute. I think Connor's got one of those dogs. Connor? <laughs> 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 Not quite those dogs. My mom's quite a friend. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Hannah came last with zero points. Next behind is a Janfield with one point, but it was in very it was an very impressive one point because he got the hard one. Well done. Uh, next is Connor and Clarissa sharing um, equal third place um, with one and a half points. Then came Jody, who came in very late with the last. All your <laughs> points came at the last minute there, Jody, on three. But the winner of our Christmas quiz is Dr. Anna Volkler. Well done, Anna. You win a Dementia Researcher Merc. <laughs> You've already got one of these. She should have points deducted for dressing for Halloween. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we ought to just address that, didn't we? Just because I know we talked about it before we started recording, but anybody who's watching will be looking and going, why is is Anna wearing a bat on her head? Is is this another German tradition? Are bats related to Christmas in Germany? (laughs) <laughs> no, this is just me challenging everyone's thinking as all researchers do, you know, being a good researcher. It's not, is it? That that was just still there from your kids haven't put it away for yeah, after basically. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that was lots of fun, but it's time that we got on and got to the last part of the show. So we're running over time. We're going to keep this nice and quick. What I'm going to do in this last segment is ask everybody a really simple one, which is what are they most excited about for the coming year ahead, uh, which is, of course, 2024. Um, you can pick on a personal one, professional one, whichever you prefer. And I'm going to go to Hannah first. Hannah, what, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, More, hol- More holidays? No, 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 not yet. Submitting my PhD. <sighs> Is yeah. that coming this year? It's coming April 2024. So Are you not like... jinxing that by saying right now you're definitely going to do that? No, I'm confident. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just like going at it with a positive positive mindset and manifesting that I get it submitted. <laughs> so Amazing. yeah, that and then Viva. Two in one. And then holidays, I hope. Exactly. To, to and then holidays. Yeah. We should say, is this a busy time of year for you? Because because you're also a jobbing pharmacist, right? I mean, you're a you you work in a pharmacy and dispense medication to people. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I was locuming quite a bit, but now I've eased off a little bit just because I want to get my PhD submitted in time. So I'm more focusing on this aspect before going back into community pharmacy. But it's been a bit tough. I mean, there's been a lot of closures of community pharmacies, so workload and demand has increased on the others but yeah and shortage of medication as well right i mean you must have to deal with a lot of people who are a bit frustrated because i know I've, I've stood in the queue and heard people talking yeah we haven't got that and... yeah there's a lot of shortages that's been ongoing for a long time um trying to find alternatives people do get angry but just people guys it's not our fault we're trying our best <laughs> i understand well thank you for all you do hannah and really good luck with that writing we're looking forward to reading some more of your blogs to hear how you get along with that uh clarissa why don't i come to you next Ooh, so much going on i'm very excited to go back to colombia in january especially when it's absolutely ice cold here and wintry and i'm looking forward to having some nice sunshine there and just finishing up our esrc study to look at mental health of older adults and people with dementia. So that's been three years in the making. And I think we're all really excited to kind of celebrate having done something, having done a pilot intervention in a really hard to reach rural area of Colombia, where often our collaborators weren't allowed to go because of flaring up gang violence. So it's completely new learning for us, but we're really happy that we've completed it. And learning that we can employ in the rural parts of Scotland as well, possibly. Yeah. Um, which it, which leads me nicely to Jody. What what Yeah, I mean I, I hope that there is both uh easier access and less gang violence than rural Colombia. I, I don't know. I hear those <laughs> they've reintroduced wolves into Scotland, haven't they? Isn't that a thing? Wolves. Wolves. Yeah. Yeah I'm pretty sure there's there's wolves all over. <laughs> um but yeah, so I'm going to go for a personal one. I'm getting civilly partnered uh, in May, so that's exciting. 
Um, I have to make a wedding dress uh, during the week between Christmas and New Year. So that'll be fun. Um, Wait, that's a really bad time. That, that is that post or pre mince pies? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm not a mince pie kind of person. It's mainly chocolate that will be my my downfall. My uh, Yule log is legendary, so. <laughs> so maybe eat all that before the dress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Congratulations. Are we going to learn more about that in your blog? Is that something you'll talk about in your blog? I, I don't know. Maybe there's a way to talk about how <laughs> well, ma- making a dress taught me about this year. Well, they did it. Rebecca Williams talked about yeah. being a seamstress yeah. uh, in one of her blogs. I really so. liked that, and it completely stole an idea I had, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should give a shout-out to all of our bloggers who, who, of course, couldn't be here today. Sam Moxon was supposed to be, but he had an urgent dental appointment uh, involved Couch, Kamehameha, me and Ali. Um, who else am I missing? Gaia Brezzo. And we've got a brand-new Emily Spencer as well who's just joined us, who was also going to be here, but she literally just had a baby uh, a few days ago but she's going to write for us throughout her maternity journey uh, to talk about the time before what it's like being on maternity leave and then coming back to work afterwards so we're really excited to have those new blogs um connor uh well i think this year will be is really exciting because i know i'm fully funded this year so <laughs> i know i've got uh, it's so like... the most exciting part is not having to apply <laughs> yeah i've got like finally got like a long stretch of funding where i'm kind of like oh i don't have to worry about that um, and do so, you need do you need money to do stuff because i know that often we've had blogs this year talking about fellowships how mm-hmm. you get your fellowship and then you think great i don't have to do anything and then you realize you haven't actually got enough money to do things so you still need to apply for more money but mm-hmm. is it a bit different with you because it's data so i don't really i don't really need costs to kind of do data analysis um so yeah i am quite lucky in that so like i think the reason i've got quite a nice bit of money is because i only needed to fund my salary um so as long as i've got my laptop and my data i can do what i want (laughs) but yeah so the other half of my work apart from fellowship is working with um i do neuropathology data analysis with um steve wharton and sheffield um and he he does the brain stuff, so I don't need to worry about getting getting money for those costs. Someone else deals with that. So yeah, it should be nice not having to worry about projects and stuff. And <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Connor. Um, who haven't I gone to yet? Ajantha, I haven't spoken. I haven't asked you that question, have I? Mine is going to be quite quick because we. Exactly the same as Hannah. I'm also planning to submit my PhD thesis next year, also hopefully in April. Um, I'm really going for April because that way. It'll be before my birthday, so it'll be quite nice. Um, but yes, it's most of what I'm looking forward to. Spinning that, getting it all done, and then taking a bit of a break. Brilliant. Well, good. also, good luck. And, and if any of our listeners have any top tips or are about to sit, uh, submit their PhD themselves, we've got lots of blogs and uh, podcasts and other things talking about uh, PhD writing, so do have a look at those. And if you've got any top tips, post them in the comments because I'm sure Hannah and Ajanta would love to hear those. And then last but not least, our quiz winner. Hannah, what are you most looking forward to? Oh, lots, but I am going to Australia for the International Aphasia Rehab Conference, um, which and which I've been invited to as an invited speaker. Not quite a keynote, but an invited speaker. So that's pretty awesome. And that's in Brisbane, um, in Queensland. So that's pretty awesome. And while we're on the theme, you were talking about, you know, people going on maternity leave and still doing research. I'm quite looking forward to my my. The last I've got two kids, the last one starting secondary school in September, which makes them more independent. So I never then have to. Currently, I organize all my meetings around having to pick him up quite often. So once he's at secondary school, I don't I can can just work and he can. (laughs) No, you're not supposed to say just work. You're supposed to say I can I can go for a run when I like. (laughs) Well, no, I can do that also. But what I don't have to do is have conversations with other parents at the school gates, which is always painful and annoying. So I get to actually (laughs) do this. This is adding into that um, claim you made on your bio, which is you are the scariest speech and language therapist, (laughs) Um, which I've never believed from knowing you. I would never believe that. But maybe there's a side of you I've never seen. (laughs) And you're just nice to me. Maybe, exactly that, maybe. Wonderful. Thank you very much, 
Um, thank, you. thank you very much, Anna. I should add our own. So from from uh, from a dementia research perspective, we've got um, a new community space coming. Uh, we're changing the way some of the website works. So you won't need to log in anymore. We're going to have um, our app is going to come along as well. And we've got some exciting new podcast series built into that. Um, and I'm excited to to also be getting out some conferences next year. I missed quite a few this year, but I'm going to definitely you'll be able to see me if you want to come and talk to us about being on the show and things at um, ADPD and um, some of the AIC events as well. And Alzheimer Europe again, Alzheimer Disease International. We've got that conference this year as well. And some of the working with our brilliant charities, of course, Race Against uh, Dementia have got a new funding call open at the moment. We're doing a live stream with them shortly. You've got the ECR Retreat from Alzheimer's Society which is advertised right now running again in June I think um, we've got the ARU Conf care conference in March as well so lots going on but um, I think it's time we got round to the last bit of the show Well, the last bit of the show is essentially me just thanking everybody because we run way over time, as ever we do. But I'm going to allow for it because it's a Christmas special. All that is remains is for me to wish all of you a brilliant festive season and to thank my incredible guests, Clarissa, Hannah, Anna, Connor, Ajantha and Jody. Um, and, um, of course, you'll find all their blogs on our website and that of our other bloggers as well. They write for us on the Dementia Researcher website every month. You can also hear them reading their blogs in your favorite podcast app and on YouTube because they all do these wonderful narrations, which I really enjoy. I love hearing people read their blog. It, it kind of really brings them to life. So if you're not already a listener, go look for Dementia Researcher, the blogs in your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much, all of you, for all the contributions you make. Uh, to our website and for joining us today. Uh, I'm Adam Smith, and you've been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks. Bye. 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 The Dementia Researcher podcast was brought to you by University College London with generous funding from the UK National Institute for Health Research, Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Association, and Race Against Dementia. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and register on our website for full access to all our great resources. DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk